Have you ever had the grumbellies? You haven't had enough to eat. You're in a room with your friends. Your stomach begins to growl. You have hunger pangs. You want to eat something and you long for it. The beatitude that we're going to talk about today has kind of hunger pangs at the center of it. It's the idea of hungering and thirsting for something beyond food. It's really something that involves justice and treating each other fairly. You know, hunger pangs are a sensation of discomfort that's gnawing in your stomach because it's calling for food. Well, there are hunger pangs in our soul for a better world. And so what we have been talking about is these beatitudes that Jesus gives as part of the Sermon on the Mount that tell us how to make for a better world. So this is the one we want to talk about today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So when we are hungry, we know at some point uh, we're going to go to the refrigerator, we're going to pull something out, or we're going to stop by your favorite fast food restaurant and pick something up, and those hunger pangs go away. In the Beatitudes, this longing, this hunger pang for a better world, a flourishing world, is something that takes a lot more patience than just simply being hungry for lunch every day. It is something that is an ongoing need. It's a hungering and thirsting for prosperity for all people. It's the image of a flourishing society. It's the idea, really, of making the world better, not just for me, but for all people. And at the heart of this, as we enter the time of Advent, Advent is known as a time of waiting. And so next week begins the first Sunday of Advent that leads up to Christmas. And it's the idea that for epics of time, mankind has had to wait on the movements of God, right? That many of the things that we long to see happen do not happen overnight, but happen over time. And that takes patience, and it takes trust, and it takes hope. And all these things come together into this particular beatitude. Jesus, I don't think, in the Beatitudes are giving us timeless truths on how to live necessarily because we know from the previous Beatitudes that we've already looked at that those who mourn are not comforted. Those who are meek do not inherit the earth. And those who long for justice often have, have to take that longing that they have to the grave. But what Jesus is announcing is good news. And this good news is that in God's timing, things will turn around. Something is starting to happen. That's what Jesus meant when he said often, repent or to rethink. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, it's breaking into the world. It's making a difference. So what we are doing in this particular uh, setting here is thinking about the hunger pangs for a better world. And it's this sensation that we all have, as you can see on the screen, that needs attention. And you have your own hunger pangs 
depending on who you are, where you grew up, what you've experienced in life by way of the pains and the perplexities of life, all of us have hunger pangs for a better world. They're just a bit different depending upon who we are and how we were raised. What we find is though the image of hunger and thirst here that Jesus is giving to us, as you can see, we often take the word righteousness and rather than understanding it as justice, we often over-spiritualize this word righteousness. One of the things that we tend to do is to think it means a synonym for religious activity. But it's really more in tune with the idea of justice rather than religious piety. Okay, So when you hear the word righteous or righteousness in the Bible, it really has rare rarely has to do with the idea of overly zealous religious activity. As I mentioned at the beginning of our time together, this particular beatitude is a bit political because in a world that Jesus is teaching, there are all kinds of physical needs that the people have. So to live a just life is to identify with the longings and hungers of the three previous Beatitudes, the poor, the mourning, and the meek. These first four Beatitudes can kind of be grouped together. There's a physical aspect to it, but it's usually a spiritual aspect that drives that physical aspect. I think a lot of times we try to soften the Beatitudes because we think of them as merely religious ideas. But these first four Beatitudes are talking about the undesirable conditions that we see in life and whether or not we pay attention to them and step into them and try to make a difference, whether it's on a personal basis or whether it's on an outreach basis like we have here at McKinley or like Brenda back there works at the Hunger Center out in Perry and she donates her time uh, to organize uh, distributions to people out in uh, uh, farther parts of Lake County. So human hunger pangs is this idea of understanding what breaks the heart of God. When Jesus looks at our world, when God looks at our world, he sees the needs all around the world, whether it's poverty or hunger, whether it's injustice, those things that drive people uh, into despair. And he says, blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, i.e. justice, for they will be filled. Isn't that interesting? That there is a day that is coming, just like the people of Israel waited a period of time while they were in Egypt, actually a long period of time, 400 years, God breaks in and he delivers them from their oppressors. So in this particular beatitude, what we find is a righteous person is not an overly religious person necessarily. A righteous person wants things to be right. Does that make sense? A righteous person is someone who wants to see things right. And so a righteous person can be a person that is religious 
or it could be someone who's agnostic or it could be someone who's atheistic, but they see the needs of the world and they want to see things be set right. And so that's a good way of thinking about this idea of righteousness. Now, along with that comes an idea of how long. Have you ever asked yourself, how long do we have to wait on this? So we know God calls for justice in the world. God goes public in this beatitude. We can see it here. He calls for issues of equity, fairness, and social justice. But often what happens in religion is we restrict God to be kind of like private. It's my personal relationship with God only that God is concerned about. It's in these type of thoughts that we can see God goes public. And he says, no, no, I want what you feel to hit you so hard that you desire to see things put to rights. As you can see here, restricting God to a private space is a way often of silencing righteousness, right? So sometimes what happens is there is this desire to make a difference in the world, and then we are told, God's not concerned about that. He's just concerned about your own personal relationship with Him, okay? You don't see that in the Scripture. There's both sides to that. My relationship with God, how I attend to that, but then how we go about working together to make things right in the world around us. So the fourth beatitude, as I mentioned, gets political, and that's very dangerous because what you're going to notice in religion is God has the same politics as I do. Have you noticed that? All right? So a lot of times what happens, religion is used to make Jesus kind of like my political mascot. And if you pay close attention, what happens many times is my version of Jesus, he attends to my political views. That's not what this beatitude is talking about. Actually, Jesus is talking about the politics of God. The politics of Jesus is the Sermon on the Mount. And both sides in the United States, red and blue, will equally feel uncomfortable with the things that Jesus says because it calls upon us to not be so self-centered and to use religion to protect those things that I want to protect. So be careful on how religion is often used as a way of controlling. It's a, a shame, really, that we live in a country that's supposed to be uh, a, a country where there is freedom of religion, but you notice what happens in politics. There are certain versions of religion that tries to negate the rights of other people, right? That's not what this uh, beatitude is about. This is not a justification for religious zealots to take away the rights of people. Jesus is not a political or a religious mascot. Rather, he is an individual that calls us to a better way, a higher way. That's why we're climbing higher. The politics of Jesus is expanding the rights of all people where there can be healing and wholeness and doing is right, what is right by all people. So while God is personal, he is never private, and justice is what love looks like publicly. Does that make sense? 
When you think about justice, that's what love looks like out on the public square. In other words, love your neighbor as what? Yourself. So Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So if your politics are such where you go, okay, I want to do this to certain groups in society, but I don't want that done to me, that's a wrong perspective. To do unto others as they would have them do unto you. A private uh, faith sometimes is a way of preventing righteousness, and it's often a way of silencing those who hunger and thirst for a better world. So being formed by this fourth beatitude does not accept um, the world as it is, but it's that deep inner hunger, the grumbellies on a spiritual level that we feel it and we wake up and we look out on the world and we go, there's a lot of unrighteousness that is taking place in our world. What can I do to help make a difference in that? And sometimes, let's face it, we are powerless in certain arenas, right? We don't have the political clout to be able to make huge changes, but we can buy mittens, we can buy gloves, we can buy hats, we can help the poor, we can do those type of things that will help those who can't help themselves. Well, sometimes there's a lot of pushback, isn't there? So sometimes when we begin to think, okay, Jesus has certain ways of looking at the world, and we see him pushing back on certain things, we go, no, 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 Jesus wasn't political. Yes, he was. That's what got him killed. He was not killed for being a nice guy that did miracles, right? He was killed because he pushed back on the systems that were in power, the religious and the political systems. And when he stands before Pontius Pilate, Pilate asks him, so are you a king? And he says, it's as you say. And he says, but my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, it has a different motivation. It has a different way of expanding the circle of liberty and justice for all people. The perplexing part of this whole thing is how long? How long does it take you, God, to make a difference in the world as we live it? And that's the same question that is being asked all through the Bible. So I'm going to give you two examples. One of them is out of Psalm 22, and you're going to recognize the first two verses of this psalm because it's what Jesus says while he's hanging on the cross. It's a psalm of David. It begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. That's the difficulty of living in a world where we see injustice take place is we have a desire and a hunger pang that it be made right, but how long do we have to wait for that, right? That's what the psalmist is saying. But did David lose his faith? No. He goes on, we only look at the first two verses of that because that's what Jesus says as he hangs on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But actually David goes on and he says this, he says, you have brought me out of the womb, you have made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you and from my mother's womb you have been my God. 
And then he goes on and he talks about some enemies that have surrounded him and hurt him. And yet in verse 19 he says, But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You're my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions and save me from the horns of wild oxen. Vivid imagery there, isn't it? He's saying, but I'm trusting that you're going to help me. You're going to be with me. And then he says, from you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. So he comes back around as frustrated as he is. And he says what Peter said so long ago to Jesus. When Jesus says, you want to leave too? He says, where are we going to go? You have the words of life, right? So it is the words of life that continue to help us hang on from these troublesome times we live in. Another one is found in a prophet by the name of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a minor prophet in the Old Testament. And he has the same complaint as David in Psalm 22. In verse 1 he says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? In other words, I see a lot of injustice a lot of unrighteousness that is happening in my world. How long is it going to be before you give me an answer? And then God responds to Habakkuk. And he says, now listen, I am going to do something, but you're going to have to wait on it. You're going to have to wait on it. You're going to have to be patient. And in chapter 2, this is how Habakkuk responds. I will stand on my watch and station myself on the tower. I will look to see what he will say to me, and what answer I am to give to this complaint. And here comes the Lord's response. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come it will not delay. In other words, we are often impatient to see progress, but often God calls upon us to be patient and to wait upon timing as the epics of history continue to unfold. And that's difficult, isn't it? We want justice now. We want that which will bring about a flourishing to happen now. But what often happens is we get disillusioned. Some people lose their faith because they can't wait for God to work in the world. They hope and they pray God will do something tomorrow. And when he doesn't, they can't understand it. And in their confusion, they are about ready to throw it off and say, I give up. God is not doing what I'm asking him to do. I come back to Richard Rohr that I began the service with. And he says this, if we believe God eventually transforms everything by first allowing everything, that's a very important line. If we believe God eventually transforms everything by first allowing everything, then everything, even in its dying, is participating in the suffering of God. 
He also says, God then comes to us in the haunts of human misery, and rather than rule by power, he rules by broken-hearted sympathy, by filling us with his love. You see, the one thing that God does supply during these times of heartache, this time of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, is he fills us with himself so that it might overflow and we make a difference in the world. So one of the things that I was trying to think about a way of kind of bringing this home, and I told you this was kind of a cornucopia of different content today because there's kind of like different thoughts that I had this past week. And I was thinking of a song that was just kind of kind of like a, a music worm in my head that just kept going over and over and over, right? So I thought, well, I'm going to try this song. Um, anybody here familiar with John Fogarty? He was one of the lead singers of Creedence Clearwater Revival. Well, he also had an individual career, still does actually, and um, he wrote a song that I think is very, is very uh, close to what this beatitude is talking about. The song is, Don't You Wish It Was True. Have you ever heard that song, anybody? You might, okay, but here's how it goes. I dreamed I walked in heaven just the other night There was so much beauty and so much light Don't you wish it was true? Don't you wish it was true? An angel took my hand and said You don't have to hurry You got all the time in the world Don't you worry, don't you wish it were true? Don't you wish it were true? But if tomorrow everybody was your friend, anyone could take you in, no matter where or what you've been. But if tomorrow everybody had enough, the world wasn't quite so rough, Oh, don't you wish it were true? He said, the world's gonna change and it's starting today. There'll be no more armies and no more hate. Don't you wish it were true? Don't you wish it were true? And all the little children who live happily Singing and laughter and sweet harmony Don't you wish it were true? Don't you wish it were true? But if tomorrow everybody under the sun Was happy just living as one No more wars to be won but if tomorrow everybody was your friend, happiness would never end. 
Lord, don't you wish it were true? But if tomorrow everybody under the sun was slippy just living as one, no more borders to be won. But if tomorrow everybody was your friend, happiness would never end. Lord, don't you wish it were true? Hope that the thing that you'll take with you is what Jesus asks us to do in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So our part in this fourth beatitude are these five things. Keep wishing, keep watching, keep working, keep waiting, and keep wondering. If you don't lose those things, you won't lose hope. Okay? Stand with me, please. Keep wishing, keep watching, keep working, keep waiting, and keep wondering. Let's pray together. Our Lord, thank you for today and for the opportunity that is ours to gather together. And I thank you that this beatitude that tells us to hunger and thirst for righteousness is our opportunity to keep trusting in you. And we pray that you will fill our spirit, you'll fill our soul and enable us, Lord, to continue to be your hands and feet in the world around us. Each of us have a unique calling. Each of us have individual talents. Each of us have unique perspectives that can enhance your kingdom in this world. And we're asking, Father, that as we enter into the Advent season and we see Jesus' incarnation and how he steps into the world and makes God known to humanity, that we will indeed follow in his footsteps and sit up and pay attention to his life so that we too can be your incarnation in our world, in our time. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.